0: And it's certainly good to be in the house of the Lord on this Wednesday evening. Trust that your week to this point has been a good one, has been profitable. And I look forward to our time in the Word each and every Wednesday. Of course, we are in the middle of a series on the Gospel of Matthew. And we have been in Matthew chapter number 5, looking at verses 31 and verse 32 For the past two weeks and we're going to return there tonight for a third week Uh, this will most likely be the last evening at least for this time through the gospel of matthew that we'll be teaching on these two verses we've been dealing with christ's teaching on divorce now we have covered a lot of ground uh, over the last two weeks so we're not going to cover a lot of where we've already been Uh, But I I do want to uh, just remind us of of some of the main points of where we have been. And we have looked at uh, what the law of Moses actually taught regarding divorce. Uh, We looked primarily last week at what the scribes and the Pharisees uh, had uh, taught regarding divorce. And then we have looked also at the Lord Jesus Christ's own teaching on divorce itself. So tonight we really want to deal with a question and the question is how do we explain the law of Moses if God's own view of marriage is that he did allow divorce to take place on certain conditions. So why did he allow? Why did the Lord allow divorce to take place under certain conditions? Again, remember, we looked in Matthew 19 that he primarily did this because of the hardness of their hearts. Uh, We might use this term, I'm not sure it's the best term, but it's the term that's coming to my mind at this moment, is God in a sense made a concession, however, he did not completely do away with the original law with regard to marriage. Really what has been happening is there has been a temporary legislation that was introduced because of the prevailing conditions of the day. Remember, we've covered a lot of ground where the divorce had just become something so out of control and chaotic that the Lord was putting in place a way of controlling how these Divorces were being handled. Of course, we've learned about uh, the bill of of divorcement. Uh, But in reality, this bill of divorcement was not meant to introduce some new thing, but was to pronounce the reason why this concession was being made. And again, that was with regard to the hardness of the heart, and we can't lose sight of that. Uh, remember, the Lord is, is, uh, is saying that this is the reason why I'm doing this. He is not teaching that, that you should get a divorce or uh, giving a command for a divorce. But Moses had given that concession. And it, it was not God advocating divorce or commanding anybody to divorce his wife. It was simply God reducing the chaos and giving a certain amount of order to what was happening. He was, in a sense, uh, trying to make something more regular that had become irregular. Something that had become such, a, 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 such so far from what this original intent. So we've got to keep what God's original object was for marriage. Remember, we dealt with the, the concept of one flesh. And that's going, be, that's going to be paramount to what we're dealing with again tonight. His God's intention and the whole estate of marriage was to remind them of the one flesh and the indissolvability of marriage. He has not changed. That is still the approach that marriage should be given. We should look at marriage as something that is for life, something that is not meant to be dissolved. However, we do need to understand that he was not commanding anywhere at any time for anyone to divorce uh, some would argue well what about the case of unfaithfulness isn't he commanding a divorce he wasn't commanding it he was giving the grounds in which the only grounds in which a divorce could be given okay it doesn't mean that he was saying if unfaithfulness takes place that a man or a woman or whatever the case is in that scenario must divorce their spouse Okay, so it wasn't, this is an automatic dissolving of the marriage. Now, he gives that condition, and again, what were the Pharisees doing? The Pharisees and the scribes, you remember, were suggesting that that's what the law of Moses was saying. If, if we're supposed to give a bill of divorcement, isn't Moses condoning, and isn't he giving the, the commandment to write a bill of divorcement? No, all Moses' law was intended to do, and Jesus supported this, was that if you are going to divorce, that this bill of divorcement must be given. Now, but that's not the same as commanding something. Uh, just because something becomes a protocol doesn't make it a commandment that you should divorce a spouse. So the idea here taught by God's Word is not only is the marriage intended to be indissolvable, but that the law of love and forgiveness should be the overriding principle. Okay, so we've got to get rid of this idea that simply says, when a man says, or remember, men were putting out their wives for the simplest of reason. They were redefining uncleanness to just mean, I don't even, I just don't like her anymore, so I'm going to put her out. And it was to do away with the idea that a man could simply say, you know what, she's ruining my life. She's not what I expected, so I must divorce her. Uh, we have to remember something about uh, all of us uh, are unworthy. Uh, we've all, we're all sinners who have been forgiven uh, by the grace of God. And we have to control our biblical our, our view of everything through what the Bible actually says. And we have to view it through that what, everything that happens to us, and happens to others around us, especially with regard to the relationship of marriage. Now, it seems to me, and in many cases, it seems to me that even in our world today, this idea of divorce has become a very chaotic scene. Now, remember again, what was Jesus saying there in verses 31 and 32? He says, it, had, it hath been said Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. Okay, that goes back to the Mosaic law and simply says, listen, if there's going to be a divorce, then she must have a writing of divorcement. But very quickly, Jesus turns and says, But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving or except for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committeth adultery. Jesus is very clear. The reality is there's a bill of divorcement that must be given, but also that there only grounds, and that I'm using that word intentionally, not a command, not a requirement, but the only grounds for a man to put away his wife is for the cause of fornication. Okay, that's, that is what the Bible says. That, that's the way we must approach this. Now, immediately... Again, this is the questions that begin to come up. And we have all heard about atrocious situations that have happened in in marriages. We've heard about things that maybe were not unfaithfulness. uh, They were not fornication. But there was something awful happening between that couple or in that home. Remember what we're talking about here. Jesus is specifically talking about the grounds of divorce. Okay, He says This is his language that the only grounds for a divorce is based upon fornication. And he says that if it's not for the cause of fornication, he causes her to commit adultery and whosoever then marries her that is divorced committeth adultery. Many are quick to just simply jump at this and kind of make some assumptions. So here's this, this principle that we need to keep in mind, and this is, this is the forefront of importance. There's only, again, and we've got to let the Bible speak, there's only one legitimate cause and reason for divorce. That's what Jesus is talking about. He calls it fornication. Now, we, we can try to spin this, we can try to change it, we can try to say, but what about, and what about this? But throughout the scriptures, the only time we see this grounds for divorce being mentioned, it's in the realm of this sin of fornication, okay? Now, uh, we're living in a day and age when that's not the only conditions that people look for a divorce. We understand that now it's become chaotic to the point where it becomes easier and easier for a divorce to take place. What the Lord's teaching here regarding this subject is he's simply teaching that there's only one cause or one grounds for divorce. And as much as maybe we struggle with this, there is only one. This is the only one he ever mentions. This is is an inclusive thing. Now, that idea of fornication also has the idea of unfaithfulness and it's unfaithfulness by one party. Okay, that term fornication is an inclusive term. It's an inclusive term because it really means unfaithfulness of one party towards the other. Okay, so it's unfaithfulness. Uh, that's typically the way we hear it today. Okay, you, you don't typically hear in a, in a modern uh, divorce proceeding, you don't hear the word fornication, you hear the word unfaithfulness. That's typically what you'll hear. So again, whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication causeth her to commit adultery. We have to realize just how important Jesus was making this principle. It was especially important in the life of the early church. Now, that's we're going to spend some time today in 1 Corinthians 7. So if you want to turn over there with me. 1 Corinthians 7, you'll know that, and we went through the book of 1 Corinthians a number of years now ago, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, this is really an entire chapter on Paul's teaching on marriage. The first uh, nine verses talk about really the uh, the the idea of marriage, the the grounds for marriage and if if there is a marriage here is here's the way the marriage should be handled, here's the way the parties should act. But in verse 10, again he he starts teaching about abiding in your calling. Now it's amazing how many directions this passage has taken over the years uh, with a lot of, preachers. It's somehow turned into abide in the ministry you've been called to. But that's not even the context of what Paul's talking about. He's talking about abiding in your marriage, abiding in the calling. Look what he says in verse 10. He says, and unto the married I command, yet not I but the Lord, let not the wife depart from her husband. But and if she depart," Let her remain unmarried, or be reconciled to her husband, and let not the husband put away his wife. But to the rest speak I, not the Lord. If any brother hath a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. Now this is really a key principle. Because Paul is saying, even if a man has a wife that is an unbelieving wife... Or an unbelieving, uh, uh, Let any man, a brother, have a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him. Let him not put her away. Um, if, if an unbelieving wife is married to a believing husband, and she is content to be there, he should not put her away because she's an unbeliever. Okay, now there have been cases where people have tried to say, well, I put away my spouse because they were an unbeliever. This says if she's content to dwell, and if she's an unbeliever, don't put her away for being an unbeliever. And the woman which hath a husband that believeth not, and if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. So, same thing for a wife. If her husband doesn't believe and he's pleased to dwell with her as a believer, she should not leave him because he's an unbeliever. And Paul gives the reason for the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now are they holy. But if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God hath called us to peace. For what knowest thou, O wife, whether thou shalt save thy husband? Or how knowest thou, O man, whether thou shalt save thy wife? But as God hath distributed every man, as the Lord hath called every one, so let him walk, and so ordain I in all churches. So we see this problem that was occurring in the First century church. In those days, there was a problem that had arisen. And a believing spouse was putting away or divorcing their unbelieving spouse. Okay, And so imagine this. Imagine a situation where a husband suddenly comes to faith. A husband suddenly now is converted and the wife is not. According to Scripture, that husband, that man becomes a new creation, he's a new creature in Christ. Okay, his conversion, he now has become a he's become a believer. But his wife is still an unbeliever. Now, there in the church at Corinth, a belief started to circulate that because they had been taught about separation, they had been taught about coming out from the world. They believed that if I'm to remain a Christian and to live a good Christian life, I have to divorce her because she's not a Christian. So there were many cases where a wife um, who had not been converted and a husband who had. But there was also the reverse. There were wives who were converted whose husband was not converted. And he says the exact same thing. But what is Paul teaching here? Again, we're, we're trying to show you the point that Jesus says the one cause, the one grounds for divorce is fornication. But he's not even saying that an unbelieving spouse is the grounds for a divorce. So Paul taught the people that the husband was not to leave his wife because he was converted and she was not. Even that was not considered to be grounds for a divorce. Now, today we have one of the reasons for divorce is incompatibility right? We just, we don't, we're not compatible. We're, we, don't, we don't have enough in common. That's not a biblical ground for divorce. So imagine how the Lord still must, how serious he must be taking marriage. Because he says that if an unbelieving spouse is content to dwell with a believing spouse, that believing spouse should not put away that unbelieving spouse. Even that's not enough For the grounds to break the one flesh, which was the plan and the purposes of God. So can you imagine, can you imagine anything more incompatible than a believer and an unbeliever in the same home? Now, if you've ever, if you've been in that environment or you know people that have, it's a difficult environment. It's difficult to have a husband that believes in a wife who doesn't or a wife who believes in a husband that doesn't. It's difficult because you view life through a whole different lens. You view life. You're not even looking at it through the biblical perspective. You're looking at what makes the most sense in the world. So, according to the modern idea of divorce, and here's one that's not even... Surely a cause, but I think the world today would even say, well, yeah, that should be grounds for divorce. But that's not what the Bible says at all. The plain teaching of Scripture is that not even having one unbelieving spouse is a ground for divorce. Paul says, do not leave the unconverted spouse, the wife who's been converted and even has an unbelieving husband. He uses the terminology that the wife who's been converted having an unbelieving husband sanctifies that husband. And he goes on and even talks about the children. Okay, they, there, is, there is this reality here that that's not a basis or a grounds for this divorce. So what's Jesus really doing, folks? He's laying on to us just how important this matter is. Nothing is a cause or grounds for divorce save fornication. Again, this is where you get into the controversy. This is where, and we need to be clear, that we are not saying, okay, we're not saying that in an abuse situation, for example, that a woman should stay there in an abusive situation. We are not saying that at all. That is not, that's not my position, and I don't think our church would take that position. There are certain situations where a person has to get away, especially for their own safety. But again, what's Jesus saying about this? He's saying this is this one ground, okay, It doesn't matter what we think should be grounds for divorce. It can't be even the incompatibility of temperament. A believer and an unbeliever, according to scripture, that's not a ground for a divorce. Now, what this is teaching us is the same thing Jesus has been teaching us from the beginning, is that he's teaching about how important this one flesh is and how indissolvable this bond should be, okay? So again, let's emphasize this properly. Jesus himself says that that thing, fornication, is a cause and a legitimate one for divorce. There are people who teach opposite of that, who say there are no grounds for divorce, ever. Biblically, he said that's a ground for divorce. That doesn't mean he wants you to get divorced, that doesn't mean he's commanding you to get divorced. But that is a legitimate grounds for a divorce. Again, Jesus says Moses himself had granted certain concessions to this. Why? Because of the hardness of your hearts. So this is laid down as a principle, not laid down to his own weakness. Okay? This, this is not Jesus giving in to the mob. Right? So, this isn't Jesus saying, "Okay, you know what? I've just had it. I'm just going to give you a concession, just to make you go away." No, this—he, this is Himself teaching us that unfaithfulness is the cause for divorce, and the reason is obvious. Okay, that's the fornication. It's a question again of one flesh so a person who is guilty of adultery has in fact broken the bond of the one flesh they have become in a sense and in a in a true sense united to another so the very link that held them together the bond the one flesh is now gone the one flesh now is no longer it's no longer there it's 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 now divorce has become legitimate now, again, does that mean that divorce has to be the outcome? No, it doesn't have to be. Now, that, that is a difficult, that's where the Lord would still say, and we would still go on the principles of forgiveness. He's not saying that, look, there's no hope if this happens. If there's unfaithfulness by one party, there's no hope for your marriage. There's no way it's going to make it. That's not, he's not, so, he said, so just give her a bill of divorcement and move on. No, there still is love. There's still forgiveness. There's still that one flesh needs to be kept as, as, as greatly as they possibly can. But is it a legitimate reason for a divorce? Yes. Again, not everybody agrees with that, even inside of the church. There are some that say it's never legitimate. Okay, They say no matter what, it's never legitimate. Jesus clearly says there is a legitimate ground. Okay, folks, what a lot of people struggle with is legitimacy. They struggle with, they'll use terms like this, is it biblical? Is it right? Or can I? Jesus is saying this is the only legitimate condition, period. So what do we do with all the other individuals who are in situations that maybe are not unfaithfulness? Okay, again, what's he talking about? He's talking about divorce. So what does he say about it? Okay, Go back to our text in Matthew 5. He says, If, except for the cause of fornication, causes her to commit adultery. So if it's for any other reason other than fornication, he causes her to commit adultery. That's that's Jesus' own words. Whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causes her to commit adultery. The argument is this. If there's only one thing that can break this bond. So Jesus is saying, if you put away your wife for any other reason, you are putting her away without breaking that bond. Okay? Or if you put her away for any other reason, you're putting her away. In this way, by this, you're making her break the bond if she actually marries again. Then this is, this is the complication of what's happening here. So a man who divorces his wife for any reason, but for this, is causing her to commit adultery. Okay, again, he's legitimizing the one reason, the one purpose. So our Lord enforces this principle, and it's simply this, there's only one cause for divorce, and there's no other one. So what's the effect what, is, what happens now? How do we summarize it? Well, remember, the Lord is the, gift, the lawgiver. Remember, what the scribes and the Pharisees wanted to have happen is they wanted to kind of determine what the law actually said, and that's why Jesus took them all the way back to creation and said, what was the intended meaning and purpose for marriage? So all law ultimately comes from God. All law ultimately comes from Him as Creator there was a temporary legislation for the children of Israel because of their particular circumstances. Remember, the original Mosaic law and the penalty for adultery was death by stoning. That was the original law. So there was a concession made that it was no longer punishable by death, but that if there was going to be a divorce, there had to be this bill of divorcement. So the next thing Jesus has done is he is making divorce. He has done is to make divorce for the case of adultery legitimate. Now again, there are places, there are churches you could say that in and it would get you thrown out. Because they would say there's absolutely no reason, no grounds. Again, he's not saying that that's the only outcome. But he is saying that is a legitimate reason or cause. So those two, the two main things that come from this, from that time, from this time onward, people are no longer stoned and put to death for adultery. Okay, he does, there's nowhere in Scripture that says, okay, now that person caught in adultery, put him to death. That kind of opens our eyes up to the woman that was brought before Jesus who had been caught in adultery. And remember, Jesus used that example when he said, he who is without sin, you cast the first stone. You realize that the, the scribes and the Pharisees were trying to enact the old penalty. Now again, they, they always, the, the uh, mystery is what did Jesus write in the ground? What, what was it that he was writing? And maybe that's important, maybe it's not. But what's important is what, how Jesus handled them. By simply telling them that you, he who is without sin, you cast the first stone. Of course, they all walked away. And she he, he of course tells her to go and sin no more. So out of this, we legitimately draw one important one important conclusion. We're not to simply say that a person who has divorced his wife because of her adultery is entitled to do so. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that it's not a sense of entitlement. It's legitimizing it, yes. But we can even go one step further and we can simply say that this this divorce puts an end to that original connection. Okay, And that's where Jesus mentions that there is now that freedom even to go on to a remarriage if it was for the proper cause of fornication. So divorce, the Lord himself says puts an end to that. His relationship to that woman is as if she were dead. So even in the case where if it was a, an, an unfaithful wife to a husband, if, if that was the divorcement that was placed, he is free to remarry. Now again, there are people that take a whole other position and say that if a divorce ever happens between any party, they're never free to remarry. So what about all these other situations? What about these things that are not unfaithfulness? Uh, these, are, these are very careful uh, places we need to, to step. And I think there's a lot of caution because I don't, we don't want to ever encourage anyone, here's what you should do in this particular situation. But on the basis of what the gospel teaches and on the basis of what the truth is, we need to keep something in mind. That even if a person divorces and it's not for proper grounds, and I'm going to say this carefully, carefully, And this is not an encouragement or a license to sin, but adultery is not the unforgivable sin. That's not the unpardonable sin. Now, so there are people who have been in situations where divorces have not been for this main reason, but please keep in mind that it is not the unforgivable sin. Sometimes we, we tend to elevate this and kind of forget about the reality that all sin is terrible okay and so people who struggle with this matter who say well wait a minute is 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 god upset with me if i get a divorce for a a grounds that's not fornication it's a sin of course it's a sin but the reality is is it's not an unforgivable sin there have been many a people a person who has been in these kind of situations but understand that even uh, that a person who, who, has, who has either committed this sin or has been involved in this sin, uh, that they should ever feel to the place that now I am outside of the love of God or I'm outside of his kingdom because of adultery. Now Again, I'm saying this carefully because I've had spirited, I've had spirited discussions with people who have all but told me, without saying it, that they believe that if adultery was committed, that that person, they didn't come out and say it, but they, they may have lost their place in the kingdom of heaven. Now, there's nowhere scripturally you can back that up. Now, again, what was Jesus talking about? He was saying, here's the legitimate ground, unfaithfulness. Why? Because of its connection to the one flesh. Are there divorces that take place for other reasons? Yes. There are cases where and and I've I have been brutally honest with people and maybe maybe to a fault where I've told them listen if somebody is in danger and somebody is in an abusive situation you get yourself out of there and you get your kids out of there and I've had people look me in the face and say, that's heresy. Look, oh, I, I, again, it, it doesn't meet the legitimacy clause of what Jesus is saying. But if you think I'm going to stand here and say a woman should stay in a relationship like that, who is being abused and kids are being abused, no, you need to get out of there. And, and <laughs> now... What is, does Jesus have any, is there anything in the scripture that actually says now that adds to the legitimacy or the grounds for divorce? It doesn't say it anywhere, but I'm telling you that's, there has been some very seriously sad and devastating outcomes because people have believed that it's okay to stay here. Again, I'm not trying to be too graphic when my husband abuses me. Because they were, they were scared into not doing a single thing. Again, this is, not a, this is not a light subject we've tread into. And there are there for everything I say, there are 10 more complicating factors about what do I do in this situation, what do I do in this situation. And understand that Jesus was not even teaching in the idea that fornication takes place, that he's okay with divorce. No, he'd rather it didn't happen. But because of the hardest of the hearts, he said, this is the legitimacy of it. But he only gives that one cause. But I can assure you that a person who has truly repented and realizes the enormity of what's taken place in their life, there is forgiveness. Even when Jesus told that woman who was caught in adultery, he said, go and sin no more. He did not condemn her to hell on the spot there, even though she was guilty. So here it is. That's our Lord's teaching on that subject. You see, you look around the world today, and the world, again, is going to treat marriage and relationships as something that's just kind of trivial. I'll get involved, and if it doesn't work out, I'll just move on to someone else. Or why even bother to put a marriage vow in place? But Jesus, Jesus primarily wants us to fully understand, too, about just how important and the picture that marriage provides. It's an amazing thing how little time that many... Many, many young people, especially, want to invest in being sure that they ought to be married in the first place. Just because the rest of the world turns a certain age and gets married doesn't mean that that's what you should do. (laughs) And there are are young kids and younger adults who, who... it, it, you have over the years kind of a personal thing have asked me to marry them and it's complicated here in Ohio I'll share that offline with you if you want to talk to me about that but um, over the years who've asked me to marry them and I always had a policy that I will not marry just two people off the street I said you're going to have to sit down with me we're going to go over six to eight weeks of marital counseling well is there any way we can do it without that no well that seems kind of it seems kind of over the top. It's not over the top when you consider the seriousness of what this is. And, 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 and sometimes it's been people who have clearly said, well, we're believers and we, we, you know, we grew up Baptist. Yeah, I've, I've heard that a man. We've, we grew up Baptist. So it's kind of like I'm calling the Baptist preacher. But then when you talk to them about what the Bible says about marriage, and well, we, we just need somebody to marry us. It's an amazing thing that nobody that I, I said we can meet together, we'll do counseling together, actually ended up either having the counseling or I end up marrying them. Not a single couple. Because the reality is, is you, don't, you don't want to invest the six to eight weeks for something that God says this is the one flesh union that is supposed to be for the rest of your life. It frightens me, actually. Six to eight weeks of maybe a couple hours a week at most for a lifetime. So we've got to start with ourselves and think about the reality of how do I view, how do I view marriage? How do I view, how does God view marriage? We need to understand that Instead of looking for these ways, we need to understand that marriage is for life. I want to I share this quote, and we'll finish with this. And Charles Spurgeon just gives this, just says this in a way that I can't say it. He says, Marriage is for life and cannot be loosed except by the one great crime which severs its bond whichever of the two is guilty of it. Our Lord would have never tolerated the wicked laws of the certain of the American states, which allow married men and women to separate on the merest pretext. A woman divorced for any cause but adultery and marrying again is committing adultery before God, whatever the laws of man may call it. This is very plain and positive, and thus the sanctity is given to marriage, which human legislation ought not to violate. Let us not be among those who take up novel ideas of wedlock, seek to deform the marriage laws under the presence of reforming them. Our Lord knows better than our modern social reformers. We had better let the laws of God alone, for we shall never discover any better. It's tough, tough words, but based upon what the scripture says. So hopefully, as we've studied this together, The Spirit gives us understanding of this. This isn't exhaustive. There's certainly other things we could talk about. But I think as we spent three weeks on it, I trust that the Lord will have instructed us in this way. Let's go ahead and stand. We'll be dismissed in prayer this evening. Our Father, we bring this time of corporate worship to a close this evening, and Father, we certainly have been challenged, and Lord, we know that we are dealing with a very sensitive subject, Lord, a subject that has touched most likely every adult in this room in some way, shape, or form. And Lord, there are things and times when our minds struggle to understand and struggle to grasp. The entirety of what's being said. But Lord, we know that your word is your word. And Lord, there are circumstances and situations that will always lead us to wonder what if. But Lord, I pray that through all of this, we would certainly understand those that are already married, that we would understand what your word says, those that hope to be married someday, that we understand what the word of God says. But Lord, may we first and foremost remember that our Lord's teaching on this subject and the reasons why He taught and said what He said. Lord, we know that it's not just the Pharisees and the scribes that are guilty of having hard hearts. We can become hard-hearted towards things in our own life. But Lord, may we also understand that this is not the unpardonable sin. This is not the unforgivable sin. And Individuals that struggle in this area and wonder Lord, we understand and we, 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 we cannot, we can, we can comprehend to an extent the concern, but even in your word, there is not a separation from a heavenly kingdom because of it. Father, I pray that we would understand forgiveness. We would understand Repentance. And that, Lord, we would not simply just listen and believe what someone tells us, but that we would study to show ourselves approved. Father, as we leave this place, Lord, would you, through the Spirit, give us understanding, and may we desire to truly know your Word and to know you better. Lord, prepare us for this coming Lord's Day when we can gather again, and your Word will be opened and preached and proclaimed, and may we desire the truth above everything else. May Christ be enough. May Christ be our all in all. We thank you and we praise you for this night. And it's in Christ's name and for his sake I do pray. Amen. All right. Thank you so much.